0: Lamentations tells us it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And so let us never forget in the midst of the difficulties, ministry challenges, a world around us that is corrupt and falling apart that we have experienced and received God's grace and mercy. And that that which God has bestowed upon us, he wants to flow through us into the lives of those around us who need him. And so we rejoice this morning as we take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 10 and look at verses 44 through 48. At this wonderful truth that we've been looking through the last couple of weeks leading up to this exact event. The salvation of the Gentiles. We read in our passage this morning that there is one Lord, one faith, one spirit, one baptism. That we are all saved by the same Savior. There's one body of Christ. There is one church. Though we meet in local assemblies, the true church is made up of all born-again believers. Every true believer is our brother or sister in Christ. The same God saves all who believe. What a wonderful, merciful God. We have, and the Bible tells us in Second Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you are not part of the body of Christ, if you've not been born again by placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I encourage you, you can participate, you can receive the gift of eternal life, your sins forever forgiven, your eternal future settled forever if you come by faith to Christ today. Look with me, if you would, at this account, the last few verses of Acts chapter 10. While Peter yet spake these words, we saw last week, these words is the message of the gospel, the first recorded message of the gospel preached to the Gentiles. As he speaks these words, as he preaches these and proclaims them, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can we forbid water, that these men should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they prayed, then prayed they him to tarry certain days. The salvation of the Gentiles is what I want to highlight first this morning in our message. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, the Bible says, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is why we saw earlier in this chapter that God had Peter go up on the roof time about lunchtime and lower down the great sheet with all of the clean and unclean animals. And as Peter looks on this vision... He hears the voice, Peter, rise, kill, eat. And he says, not so, Lord. Nothing unclean has ever passed through these lips. And God repeated that vision two more times. And after the third time in Peter's response, God says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And after that, while Peter is wondering what in the world does this mean? And he's processing this. The men came from Cornelius. God had, through the angel, uh, given the message to send for Peter, Simon Peter, dwelling in Joppa with one Simon the Tanner and so he sends the men and in God's perfect timing brings them together and even as Peter's still kind of figuring all of this out these men come asking for him and the spirit of God says go with them because I've sent them something highly unusual for a Jew to go with Gentiles even to talk with them let alone go with them but he does, and we see that as he goes, that Cornelius was already prepared. He had gathered friends and relatives to hear the message of God from Peter. For the angel sent directly from God told him that this messenger, Peter, would preach the truth to them, exactly what they needed to hear. For though Cornelius was God-fearing and respected and honored the Jewish way and believed, and was beginning to believe that there was only one true God instead of many gods, he was not yet a born-again believer, not yet trusted Christ. As Savior. Yet God was preparing him as God was preparing Peter, bringing them together in his perfect timing to proclaim this gospel. we see the wonderful message of the gospel beautifully presented by Peter as he's filled with the Spirit of God and preaches the truth. And now we see the salvation of the Gentiles. Why did God use Peter to present the gospel to the Gentiles? Well, first, because the apostle Peter was representative of the apostles. And so when he preaches and he proclaims, and remember he took witnesses with him, Jewish believers that were brothers in Christ, when he takes them with them, they witness what God does here. But the message of the gospel must be proclaimed by us. I think there might be, in our day and age, a reliance or a false assumption that everybody's heard the gospel clearly presented Hey, you know, you could probably search it on YouTube, or you can turn on religious television, you can turn on religious radio. There's no reason why anybody can't hear the gospel. Everybody's familiar with the gospel. And we kind of think that that kind of takes care of it because technology is so prolific, because the message has been proclaimed in so many ways. It kind of, we think, eases our responsibility before God, our accountability to personally witness the gospel of jesus christ and yet you know the most powerful proclamation of the gospel is a personal one-on-one sharing of the testimony and presenting the gospel of jesus christ not that god does not use corporate worship services like this to present the gospel in revival meetings evangelistic meetings certainly god uses those tools can god use uh our, our live stream for people to get saved through that ministry. Sure, and Christian radio and television. Yes, God can use that, but let us not assume that every person we meet has heard the gospel and had that presented clearly to them or that they have been exposed to a genuine, born-again, Christ-following believer. Let's go on the assumption that they may have never clearly heard presented the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we may be having the uh, the opportunity to plant the seed of the gospel. Again, as we saw that God was preparing Cornelius's heart, let's ask God to, to, to bring people into our lives that, are, that the soil is prepared. They're wondering, they're searching and give the opportunity to plant the seed of the gospel in their heart or to be able to water that seed if it's already been planted. Because all of us are in the process, whether we're planting or whether we're watering or whether we get to reap in the harvest. It's like Paul said, listen, some plant some water and some get to reap, but it's God who gives the increase. But God uses human instruments. and Therefore, it is of necessity that we not just live out the gospel in our testimony, but proclaim it with our lips. How then shall they hear without a preacher? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's what Peter preaches out of the Old Testament scriptures jesus uh john says this about the lord jesus in john chapter 1 verses 11 through 13 he came unto his own and his own received him not who is his own well he came through the nation of israel and the jewish nation by and large rejected jesus as messiah why because he wasn't the messiah they wanted They didn't want a suffering savior that would cleanse them from their sin and give them everlasting life. They wanted a Messiah that would come and throw off the yoke of Rome's dominance and would bring them into a financial, economic and political prosperity. That's the Messiah they wanted. And they ignored the prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the suffering savior. By and large, yes, there were believers in Israel during Christ's day and at Jerusalem, at Pentecost, many were saved following after that many were saved and by the way God is still saving Jewish people but by and large the nation of Israel when Jesus came rejected him but the wonderful truth of verse 12 is but as many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God even to them that believed on his name And it's not just a formal acknowledgement. Maybe you are introduced to somebody, maybe a long lost relative and you can have kind of a formal, I don't know you, let me give you a handshake or one of those polite air hugs like this, you know. Um, or you, or there's somebody and you've heard all about them and, and you've talked with them on the phone. You've never met them face to face, but you become very acquainted with them and, and bonded maybe through common experience, though you've not shared it physically in each other's presence or through other common communication. And when they come, man, it's, it's bear hugs and back slaps and you're so excited and you completely receive them and you bring them in and you have fellowship with them, they become a part of your life. There's some people you can hold at a distance and you're more formal with them. Others that you receive. And so salvation is not merely a mental acknowledgement to some theological facts about Jesus Christ. That's not salvation. It's not mere mental assent. You have to understand to believe. And the Spirit of God can give you that understanding. But salvation is a personal response of receiving into your life. The very real person who loves you, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, recognizing He loved you so much, He died on the cross and shed His blood and rose again to give you everlasting life. And you receive Him into your life. As many as received Him, put complete reliance upon Him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you look back with me in verse 44, you'll see that while Peter was still preaching, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. The Holy Spirit's coming was not dependent on public confession. They had not publicly confessed Christ yet and then received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came before that. And it did not come with a lapse of time. It was not prayed for. It did not follow baptism with water or the laying on of hands. The Holy Spirit simply came as they listened with receptive heart to Peter's message and believed on Christ as their Savior. For as one writer said, they must have believed. Because forgiveness of sin and eternal life only comes through faith in Christ. And every born again believer at the moment of their salvation receives the Holy Spirit. Peter's account of this matter is in agreement with this in the next chapter, which we'll look at soon in Acts chapter 11. And Paul implies uh, in, in accordance with this in Galatians 3 and verse 2 with this rhetorical question. Did you receive the spirit by obeying the law or by believing what you had heard? They believed in their hearts what they had heard. These Gentiles, Cornelius and his family and friends that he had gathered to hear the message. As Peter is preaching, the Spirit of God is working in their hearts. They put their faith in Christ even before Peter is done preaching. You don't have to wait for an invitation to walk an aisle to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Isn't that great? God can save you as you believe in your heart and call on Him from your heart. Putting your faith in Him, acknowledging you're a sinner, unable to save yourself unable to cleanse yourself from sin and put your faith in jesus christ and calling him from your heart in prayer to receive eternal life receive him to be your savior the holy ghost fell upon these because they believed and immediately the spirit of god is upon them responding to another centurion's faith in Matthew chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, Jesus said, Verily or truly, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. So Jesus, even there in Matthew chapter 8, is telling the apostles this is going to happen. They're going to come from the east and from the west, and they're going to sit down. And Jewish and Gentiles uh, who have put their faith in Christ as one body of Christ Are going to celebrate in eternity the very goodness and faithfulness of our merciful, gracious God. Isn't that wonderful? But I want you to see the astonishment of the Jewish Christians. Look at verses forty-five and forty-six. And they have the circumcision. That is, these are these are Jews. They had been cultural Jews. But they had turned from trusting in good works and trying to keep the law. And instead, now they believe that Jesus had fulfilled the law on their behalf. That he was the promised Messiah who would cleanse them from their sin and give them everlasting life. That's who the circumcision is. All right? In verse 45, which believed were astonished. This is, jaw hits the floor in heart-stopping shock kind of a thing. They were blown away to use the modern vernacular. Okay? Okay? As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. A couple of things I wanted to point out. The Jews with Peter were astonished that God would save Gentiles without first making them proselytes. Remember that Cornelius, the Bible calls Cornelius a God fearer. That was a term that many of the Jews used for Gentiles who were familiar with the Old Testament law, the sacrificial system, uh, the teaching of the rabbis, and they respected that. Even the Bible says of Cornelius that he gave alms. So in other words, he would make financial donations, maybe for the synagogue or maybe to Jewish causes in the community. Uh, so he, But he was not a believer. He was not yet a proselyte. He had not become a a Jew as a Gentile. There were many things that would have had to have happened Uh, Under Old Testament requirements, for a God-fearer to become a proselyte, he was not a proselyte. But one of the things that shocked these Jewish believers was that God would save Gentiles without first taking them through the steps of becoming a proselyte or, or, or becoming a Jew, because they would become a Jew culturally and ceremonially and in every way. And so they're shocked. Wow. The gospel is given, and these are saved. They've not yet been circumcised, they've they've not yet been affirmed um, into the Jewish faith. Wow, they were shocked. The Holy Ghost fell upon these Gentiles before they were baptized. Do you notice that? To show that God does not confine Himself to outward signs. The Holy Ghost fell upon those who were neither circumcised nor baptized. As the Bible tells us, it is the Spirit that quickeneth the flesh profiteth nothing you recall that earlier in the passage the bible talks about how that the apostles laid hands on believers and that they received the holy ghost it was not that the apostles had the power to confer the holy ghost upon whom they would matter of fact we'll see later on there was a man who was in awe of the uh, of of uh christianity and he saw the power and he said hey let me buy this from you so that I can also then do this for others. And it's directly related to the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, your money perish with you, that you should think that, that the power of God could be bought with money. This power was not inherent in the, the, the apostles themselves. God is the one who saves. God is the one who sends and gives his Holy Spirit. So when they laid hands, they were merely giving an outward affirmation of what god was doing in giving them the holy spirit others yes they were baptized and received the holy spirit again this is the evidence this is a an outward sign given at the beginning of the church to give affirmation to the gospel message just like i believe the gift of tongues has ceased It was given for the spread of the gospel and the affirmation of the supernatural working of God until the completed revelation of the scriptures has been given to us. The Gentiles received the Holy Spirit and responded in the same way the apostles did on the day of Pentecost. That must have been a shock because remember when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles on the day of Pentecost, that's what they did. They were preaching in other languages, magnifying God. Every man heard them speak in their own language. So they were preaching in languages that were understandable. This was not some mystical, heavenly language that nobody knew and nobody understood. These were other already established languages or tongues, but the speaker did not know that, okay? Uh, It'd be like me starting to preach in Swahili. I know a few words, but I'm not familiar with the complete language, right? And so if I were all of a sudden to be able to preach the gospel in Swahili... So that people, they would you would understand that is evidently the supernatural power of God that would be given to me for the promotion of the gospel to those uh, who speak Swahili. That's what God was doing in the early church. That is not what God is doing in this present time. But the exact same way, and the apostles must have remembered back, man, this is exactly how we receive the Holy Ghost. God's no respecter of persons. There's not a Jewish echelon of Christianity and a Gentile echelon of christianity we are all one in christ and we are all on the same level quote unquote playing field when it comes to being children of god god by the way has no favorite children we're all his favorites and here's one of the things that's so wonderful about this the bible says in verse 46 they heard them speak in tongues and do what magnify God, these Gentiles who grown up in heathenism and polytheism, paganism, having heard the gospel believed in the spirit of God comes upon them. And the outward evidence of that is that they're speaking in other languages and what they're speaking magnifies God. What glory. Although salvation is a miracle of God, we should not be shocked when God saves anybody. these witnesses and maybe even Peter himself was a little taken aback that before they were made proselytes before they were baptism or hands laid on them they received the Holy Ghost and this really then is the pattern you see through the rest of the book of Acts and that is the the normative and what we understand today that As soon as a person receives Christ as Savior, they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, does God want believers to then follow in baptism? Yes, but that is not a seal of their salvation. It is a testimony they've already been saved, and it's a step of declaring one to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. G. Campbell Morgan said, and I love this because the the Jewish believers were shocked that these Gentiles had believed and received the Holy Spirit. They were astonished. And G. Campbell Morgan said this. This is a point well taken. He said, we labor so hard to make the gospel plain. And we should. We should know the gospel. Uh, You should know the verses to be able to take somebody through the gospel, through the, quote, plan of salvation, so they can understand they're a sinner, sacrifice of Christ, his resurrection, and the invitation for them to place their personal faith in Jesus and receive him as their Savior the one who cleanses from sin and gives eternal life. But I love what G. Campbell Morgan said in making this point. He says, we labor so hard to make the gospel plain. We constantly imagine that it is necessary for us not only to preach Christ only, but to defend Christ and vindicate Christ and explain Christ. We leave so little room in our preaching and teaching for the cooperative ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, as I am praying every day, God, today, would you give me an opportunity to plant the seed of the gospel or to water the seed of the gospel? Would you allow me not gospel opportunity today? That I am also reminded, Lord, and would you prepare me by your Holy Spirit? Prepare that person's heart. For God, only you can change the heart. Only you can illumine the understanding of an unbeliever God, I'm in reliance upon you. It does not negate my responsibility to study, to be prepared, and to be as equipped as I can to share the gospel, but I cannot rely on my preparation. I rely on the power of the Spirit of God to take the word of God. Remember, so the faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Lord, you take the word of God as I share it. And Lord, I may mix up a reference and a verse. I may mix up a phrase. I may... I may mess something up, but Lord, though I'm not going to be careless, I want to be as careful as I can. I realize that I will take the risk even of messing up and getting a little confused or or, or not, as, not as polished, give as polished a presentation of the gospel as I would like. But Lord, I trust that through your Holy Spirit, you can take my faltering, stammering, imperfect presentation of the gospel and use it by the power of your Holy Spirit for your glory. And folks, it's like riding a bicycle. The more you do it, the better you get at it. And you know, as the more that we share the gospel, the Lord, the more God will give us a proficiency and an opportunity in that. But never does that, never is it that the Holy Spirit is running along with us. You know, when you're training a kid how to ride a bicycle after the training wheels come off, what mom and dad usually do? They hold on to the handlebars in the seat, right? And they pedal, pedal, and they're going with them like this, right? Well, never does the Holy Spirit say, okay, go ahead. but the holy spirit is with us always enabling us but i am saying that the more that you're faithful to witness and rely on the spirit of god that god will use you and you know what no matter how experienced you are no matter how many times you've shared the gospel you know what it's like paul said we are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves our sufficiency is of god you know that carries over into discipling our children that carries us over into having biblical, ethical business practices and taking a stand for Christ in the midst of a crooked, perverted, cheating, lost world. It, 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 it translates into every, every area of life. We must be completely reliant upon the Holy Spirit and the word of God to guide us. But as we're relying, as we always look to him, God will enable us to do what we ought to do for his glory. And the conclusion here is that Christ is the head of one body. Look, if you would, in verse 47, Peter asked the question, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? (laughs) Hey, we received the Holy Ghost, they have received the Holy Ghost. God saved us, God saved them. Should we forbid water that these be baptized? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. The Gentiles were not baptized, by the way, to seal their salvation. How is our salvation sealed? Ephesians chapter 4. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. I'm not sealed by baptism. Baptism is not a final step in salvation, or that would be salvation by faith and works. And salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone, plus nothing. Baptism does not seal my salvation. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. And the moment I trust Christ as my Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells me and he seals me. He puts his official stamp or label on me. And I am sealed and no man can break that seal. And I have the full gift of salvation and it will be fulfilled. And I have already eternal life. And God's official seal, his stamp, Is on me and on you, and that is the Holy Spirit who indwells us. I will say this that baptism is a step of obedience. You know, actually, Peter is obeying the Great Commission. Remember in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, say it with me Go ye therefore, say it with me, go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost and then verse 20 says teaching them to observe all things whatsoever i have commanded you so this is part of the great commission what are we teaching them we are teaching them the gospel and once they understand and they believe then we baptize them peter's fulfilling the great commission saying look just like when a jew trusts christ as savior and and is baptized to show i am buried with him And I'm raised to walk in newness of life. I no longer trust in myself, my good works, my religious activity. I place my faith only in Jesus Christ. I was dead in sin. Christ saved me. Now I'm alive to walk with him and to follow him. I am an unashamed follower of Jesus Christ. And just like the Jewish Christians did that when they trusted Christ, so Gentile Christians should do that as well. And it is that step of obedience. It's commanded by Christ The apostles were to baptize. We are to continue to baptize those who believe. Those who have believed are to be baptized as a step of obedience and as public identification with Christ. But believers need to realize that the gospel which unites us is much greater than that which separates us. Look at verse 48. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Man, there were vast differences in this culture between Jewish culture and Gentile culture. And the believers needed to realize that the gospel which unites us is much greater than that which separates us. Now, don't get nervous because I'm not talking about compromising our standards of holiness or doing away with ecclesiastical separation. We only can agree with and work with those who are of like faith and practice that believe the things that we believe that are clearly delineated in scripture but what I am talking about is that there are things that the gospel that unites us salvation we have in Christ unites us is greater than the things which separate us maybe you've heard the hypothetical joke about uh, you know Saint Peter is, is leading some people through heaven and all of this and as he's walking they see the section of Of heaven and it's it's bricked off. It's this huge brick wall, right? And it's kind of sectioned off. And somebody asked Peter and said, "Peter, what's behind that brick wall?" And Peter says, "Shh, it's the Baptists. They think they're the only ones here." Let me give another illustration. I think this will hit close to home. A couple weeks ago, the coolest bus I've ever seen in my life parked in our church parking lot. It was the Clemson football. Coach, the, 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 the bus. And this was the defensive team, actually. The defensive unit rides on that particular bus. And Coach Sweeney always rides with the defense. And so he rides in that bus. And I did not fall to the ground in worship, all right? I was not paying homage. But I was like, yeah, Clemson, right? And we have all We have Ohio State. We have Michigan. We have Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee. We've got all kinds of different college football loyalties. And it's fun to talk about them. And, uh, and here in the South, it gets to be pretty serious business, man. I'm telling you. But you know what? The gospel that unites us in Christ is greater than our college football loyalties. It ought to be, right? I can't fellowship with you. You're an Ohio State fan. No, obviously not. We're born-again believers. We love the Lord, you know? And someday those Ohio State people will understand in heaven that we Michigan people were right. I got that shot. I'm sure Brother Bill will take his shot later when he gets a chance. But seriously, you know what? We have different opinions concerning politics, educating our children. You homeschool. Your kids go to public school. Your kids go to that Christian school. I can't fellowship with you. No, the gospel that unites us is greater than our different opinions and preferences. All right, What unites us is Christ. What unites us is the truth of the word of God. Now, while there are serious differences in our convictions based on the Scripture, then we need to sit down and have some serious discussion. And all of us with a spirit of humility ought to surrender ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit to reveal to us where we are out of line with the Scripture and the Spirit of God so that then we can be together. But there are issues over which godly men disagree, and we can still fellowship one with another. And as a church body, though we have different opinions when it comes to politics, hey, listen, you know what? You can be saved to be a Democrat. Oh, Pastor Todd's talking about politics from the pulpit. Now, I'm just saying, look, everybody thinks if you're a, if you're a born-again Christian and you've got to be a conservative Republican, hogwash. We're going to have different political opinions. Think about all the different countries of the world where there are Christians, and there are different political opinions among those believers. But the gospel that unites us and the truth of God's word and the Holy Spirit and being this one church. And by the way, folks, the kingdom of heaven outlasts all governments. It outlasts all education systems. It'll outlast every college and university of higher learning. The kingdom of God is forever and we are part of that kingdom. And we need to realize that the gospel which unites us is much greater than that which separates us. Certainly, Cornelius carried his Christian witness wherever he was assigned for military duty. And I wanted just to bring this out. You know, modern-day Christian centurions, as those who are believers in the military, are a dynamic missionary force. And there are some, even from our church or associated with our church, that have gone into the military for the opportunity to be missionaries within the military, to encourage Christian brothers and sisters in Christ in the ministry, in military the and to reach unbelievers for the gospel. And even when they're stationed overseas, as God would give them opportunity that they would want to spread the gospel. I think Cornelius, here he is. He's, he's a Roman centurion who knows where he went after he was at Caesarea. But you know what? Wherever he went, he was a representative for Christ. And I think, you know, this morning uh, in our hearts, we ought to thank God for our Christian brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the military, who are salt and light in the military. The military is a very pl- a difficult place to live for Christ many times. It's a place where there's a lot of hopelessness and a lot of need. There's a lot of loneliness in the military. And praise God for brothers and sisters in Christ who have that as part of their mission to reach out to others for the gospel of Christ to strengthen brothers and sisters in Christ that are in the military and that will take the gospel as it's in Christian centurions wherever they go throughout the world. Peter and his Jewish brethren stayed And had fellowship with Cornelius and the other new believers. Although their backgrounds were drastically different, there was a family bond in the love of Christ. May that be true here at Berean, that we would be bound together in the love of Christ. That we would not allow any differences of opinion or even certain applications of Scripture where the Scriptures give room for choice. And we need to be careful with that, but that we would not allow those differences to divide us. And that we'd be very careful with those who are not part of this local church body, who are believers in our area, that we would not hold ourselves aloof from them, but that we would treat them as family. For we are all part of the one church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads this morning. Let's bend our knees, spiritually speaking, before our Lord. The invitation this morning, we'll not have a come forward invitation this morning, but the invitation is this. If you're unclear as far as the gospel, but this morning as I was sharing the way of salvation, referencing it a couple different times through the message the spirit of god began to work in your heart and like cornelius you are coming under the fear of god but you still either don't understand or have not yet accepted salvation maybe you have a question or we'd like a further explanation just like cornelius invited peter to proclaim the truth to him so that he would know how to respond to god I would invite you after the service to find me in the connection point. Let me take the word of God so then, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'll just share what God's word has to say. Maybe you came with somebody. You're a guest of somebody this morning. And you know that they know the Lord Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to go to them. What a joy it would be for them. They who love you and are concerned about you and have invited you to the service. To allow them to take the word of God and show you the way of salvation. You can make that decision today. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there's nobody beyond the reach of our God when it comes to salvation. Let me encourage you to continue to pray for those for whom you have half prayed in the past or have witnessed to in the past, but maybe in a very practical sense you've really kind of given up attempting to reach them with the gospel. Maybe there are others, people that you're just meeting and from what you're seeing and experiencing Though you would acknowledge in a mental level and the guy can save anybody in a practical sense, you, you don't think it's likely they're going to get saved. Would you ask God to change your heart and mind about that and treat them with the love of Christ and look for opportunities to witness to them? And let's remember that though we have different opinions and different preferences, though we're not all part of the same local assembly, All who have put their faith in Jesus Christ have the Holy Spirit, believe the word of God, and will be with us together in eternity, worshiping and serving Christ. And let's make sure that even this morning we prepare our hearts and our attitudes to be loving and welcoming and serving of our broader church family. And maybe there's somebody with whom, as a believer, you have been in disagreement and maybe you've not treated them right maybe you've sinned against them or they've sinned against you same love nothing more than to continue to drive a wedge in that relationship which could cause division within the greater body of Christ whether in this local assembly or beyond and would you humble yourself before the lord and confess that sin to him this morning and would you commit to the lord to give you the humility and yet the courage to go to that person and to make things right with them at your first opportunity so that God can be glorified and the body of Christ can be unified. As our musician begins to play our invitation song right now, would you consider these things and pray?